You're listening to the Apple Insider Podcast. Welcome back to the Apple Insider Podcast. I'm Victor, and joining me is Wiley Coyote, William Gallagher. Every week. I, well, I never know if I'm going to be the one standing in for proper people, but every week I am, it's what's it going to be this time? And I was just about to launch straight in with you were right. But now I don't think I will, because that wouldn't be wily enough, would it? Depends on what you're setting me up for. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Just come into my little trap. Yeah, this is getting silly already. We've barely started. Sorry about that. Uh, <clears throat> this is going to be the serious episode. We, the, the serious episode, yes. This is the serious episode. In breaking news this day, Thursday, as we record this, uh, Johnny Ive has left Apple. He issued a press release saying that he's going to be starting his own firm called Love From, and Apple will be his first client. This is a big move because Johnny Ive was the chief design officer. He predated Steve Jobs' return to Apple and really was instrumental in making products that made Apple a big success. You know, things like the original iMac, things like the Power Mac, the iPhone, the Mac Pro, the several other iterations of the iMac. He, he was behind the designs for all of those. And, and of course, it'd be fair to comment that he was stepping away from design and stepping away from that role in the past few years, especially following Steve Jobs' death. You know, you could comment that the Apple campus, the spaceship, was one of his last big products. Um, you could also comment that the butterfly keyboard was one of his big goal, uh, products because that was part of the goal towards minimalism and thinness at, at the expense sometimes of other things. The concern that I have is that design was instrumental to Apple's return and growth, and it, it seems strange to have that capacity outside the company, especially for Apple, who has always wanted to either have multiple suppliers or to have control over the, the capacity inside the company. And that's been true from everything from engineering and other resources. It's why they build their own ARM chips, because they want to have that in-house where they can trust it. The thing that I'm really concerned about is, is the reporting structure of design within Apple right now. So given this change, Tim Cook says Apple is going to continue to benefit from Johnny's talents by working directly with him on exclusive projects and through the ongoing work of the brilliant and passionate design team that he's built. After so many years working closely together, I'm happy that our relationship continues to evolve, and I'm looking forward to working with Johnny long into the future, which means, yeah, he's out. Design team leaders Evans Hankey, Vice President of Industrial Design, Alan Dye, Vice President of Human Interface Design, will report to Jeff Williams, Apple's Chief Operating Officer. That's weird. The COO tends to make operational decisions on supply chain and things like this. To have that person in charge of design decisions feels unnatural and strange and maybe bad because COO minds finances and design is now going to be constrained by basically bean counting is what that sounds like. It's a very weird reporting structure. We will be watching to see what happens. Now, obviously, any changes that happen are going to be observable in slow motion, if they're observable at all. But 
this is a point to take notice and think about what is the direction of this company and what exactly is the role of design at this company when this company is a design company at its heart. You know, we don't usually talk about things like this would have never happened if Steve Jobs hadn't died, right? This wouldn't be the way it would be if Steve was still around. We don't say that very often. Bob Burra is a fellow who was on the original iPhone team and the original iPad team and the Apple Watch team. And uh, he, he and he has a quote from 2017. He says that he was at an all-hands engineering meeting after Steve's death. It used to be designed by one, now it's going to be designed by committee. And of course, designed by one was that Steve was the, the final arbiter of what would be or not be an Apple product. And that's something that we kind of saw in Ken Kashenda's book also, that Steve would look at something and say, that's Apple, and that belongs in the product, and then throw out the things that didn't. And that that doesn't happen anymore is what Burroughs is suggesting. And, and Burrow goes on to say in 2017, I'm not so much upset with Apple as upset with the company that has replaced Apple in the wake of Steve's death, suggesting that, that Tim Cook basically rebuilt Apple after Steve's death. And, you know, as much as anyone would want to think that things could stay the same or that Steve left enough people in place and training in place and picked the right people to succeed him to keep things going the same, it's clear that when, you, when you're trying to drive this big an enterprise, that things are going to change. Now, obviously, throwing out design by one and going to design by committee is, is questionable because design by committee is a bad thing. Design by committee is, is how good products go to die, basically. This is, this is one to watch. This is news. And, and, you know, to Cook's credit, Cook never pretended to be a product guy. He, he has never done that. And, and it's true in the presentations. You always see Craig Federighi get up or Greg Joswiak or, or any of the other people, Kevin Lynch. Anyone who's had anything to do with the product gets up and talks because that's more appropriate for product people to talk about the product. I'm still concerned about this shift and we'll continue to track it. So we have listener email, and one of our listeners points out that he'd like us to do a show of fe which features uh, on older iPhones will run on the new iOS. Not, not just models, because it's obvious that, that iPhone 6S is out for iOS 13, so you have to have a 6S or newer for iOS 13 to work. But the, the question is, what features will work on an iPhone 6S? That's a good point. Or an iPhone yeah, SE, for that matter, right? Also at the low end of the pool. Would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. Um, trying to think of obvious things that wouldn't run, and I'm, I'm blank. Uh, it can't be that everything would just run slower. There must be things that can't be done. That's an interesting point. Well, I mean, obviously there are camera features that are tied to specific phones. Oh, good point. Yes, I hadn't thought of that. Yes, that's true. There's 3D touch and stuff, although that seems to be waning. I get mixed up between the different versions of 3D touch and long presses and things. But well, you're not alone, and that's, that's kind of what caused the demise of 3D touch as a thing that developers would ever use. Because if you can't predict that your users will have it, and your users can't predict that it'll do the same thing every time, 
then it's kind of a wasted piece of, of interface interaction. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really Apple's mistake that they didn't specify exactly what it was for and how it should work and make it uniform at the OS level. You know, the the right-click or contextual-click menu on a Mac, or for that matter on a Windows computer or a Linux machine, is a menu that you know you click to get more context, and it provides many of the same things every time, but occasionally different options get added in based on what you've clicked on. Mm. And that's kind of the, the function that I think it should have filled, is that it works the same way every time, you invoke it the same every way every time, and a standard set of options appear with an addition that's app-related. And had they done that, then maybe it would have caught on better. I see that. That makes sense. Uh, I just, I don't know where, I mean, where does the line draw? Developers, Apple. I, I use it once. There's one thing I use quite a lot, Launch Center Pro. I have four things that I often use, and I am very conscious that sometimes... When I 3D touch, 3D press, long whatever it is, uh, on that icon, I get my four little shortcuts, and the option to uh, be a QR reader. I and, and other times I don't, and I cannot see a pattern for when I do or don't get it, and I can't choose to invoke the QR reader on the one in a billion chances time I ever need to use it. Hmm. Well, the the greater point is not which features live or die. In, in different versions, right? The greater point is the justification for buying a new phone, <laughs> right? Isn't isn't <laughs> yes, that the real problem? Down to that. I that's mean, that, that was that's really what drives this is is not a catalog of which features are present or not present, and finding out which ones you absolutely must have. It's it's how do you justify or how necessary is it? How long can you hold on to the old phone before you take that that uh, dive into the bank account and come up with all the money? Well, the truthful answer is you can hang on to the phone as long as you like. I mean, how long was it before the original iPhone stopped working? Um, Relatively quickly. I mean, it was uh, iOS 3 that the original iPhone got up to and then did not get iOS 4. But you could still make calls and use it. I mean, it, it, you can't now, I think. Something's happened at some point. But... Well, part of what happened is that that original iPhone operated on a 2G-level network, and oh, right. most of 2G services have been torn down and replaced with 3 and 4G. And in fact, 3G services are being torn down as well. So at some point, these things no longer become technically functional. The There you go, then. There's your answer. Wait until then. Well, I have a, a friend who I help out with technology from time to time. He's a rather elderly fella. And he's got an iPhone 4 that he carries on and he continues to use. And he asks every year, once a year... I don't know. Do you think I ought to upgrade the phone this year? And mm-hmm. he doesn't really use any apps. He uses text messaging. He uses phone calls. And he'd like to occasionally play music from it through his car radio, but it's just too old to talk to his car radio properly over USB. His car radio doesn't understand it even as an iPod anymore. And wow. so it's... Um, I tell him that maybe, you know, if there's a good deal and it seems to make sense that he should do it because he's also suffering, you know, battery failure and things like this along the way, go ahead and do it. But that's the extreme example. That's holding on to something for absolutely as long as you possibly can and then longer. If you want to stay current and there are valid reasons to stay in current, you know, like having updated apps, 
having apps that will work, having apps that you can download and reinstall from the App Store. Um, if you get behind an OS level, then you begin to have difficulty in terms of, of keeping the apps that you already have. You know, I have, I have an iPhone 3G, and it's running iOS 4, and I have no hope of getting any apps on it. If I delete an app off of there, it's gone. Oh, I didn't. Oh, I misunderstood you there. Oh, right. Yes, I thought of that. Oops. And and okay. further, delete. these things are moving targets, right? When an application uses a web service that uses an API, if that API changes and I don't get the current version, then that whole thing breaks anyway. For example, Twitter applications from that time don't work. Let's face it, we should all just swap to Android. It has none of these problems. I'm, I'm reassured of this by every Android fan I know. Uh, and we'd just be happier all around. Well, the... There's a lot to unpack in that sentence. Android has none of these problems. Android has other problems. And that if we moved to Android, would we be happier all around? I I suspect not. I mean, minute to minute. (laughs) They're they're, uh, obviously Apple. Obviously, app developers would like you to be using a device that is currently supported. And what we've noticed is that with iOS 12... Where, where the iPhone 6, for example, was unsupported in... Or, well, no, let's say that again. The, I, the iPhone 6 was not well-supported in iOS 11. iOS 11 felt slow. It felt like it was terrible. It felt that for a lot of reasons that even on a fresh battery, when the phone got faster because it was no longer being throttled, it still felt slow on the OS. And that iOS 11 was optimized and ran better on newer phones. Fine. With iOS 12, the phone got a new lease on life. Now, had I never experienced a newer phone and kept using that iPhone 6 on iOS 12, I would have been reasonably happy because it kept working and was faster. I did use a newer phone. I used first an iPhone 8, then an iPhone uh, 10s Max, and then an iPhone 10R, which is my current phone. And in all cases, going back to the older phone is an exercise in meditation in patience in mindfulness you're a better person for going back i i am i really am and i i think that while you can do that that this is the kind of decision you have to make now apple doesn't intend for you to only buy phones that cost 1300 us right because they sell the last year's model they will happily sell you an iPhone 7 or an iPhone 8. And those yes. are fine phones also. They were great phones when they were introduced. They're still great phones today. And you'll pay less for them. So there's certainly a balance there. I, I think that you can completely get away with not upgrading your phone for four or five years if you buy it when it's first introduced. I think there are benefits to upgrading your phone. Does that help? I agree, but I offer that it's not really possible to quantify this very well. I uh, I was on an iPhone 6, I went the same things with you, with iOS 12. Uh, strictly speaking, I was perfectly happy with it. And I moved to a 10s Max, and um, I'm now absurdly glad that I have. The same thing as you, you're finding it a lot faster, but also just it does more 
so many things are different with it. Uh, I think the answer is um, if you can afford to upgrade to a newer phone, then you will be glad you did. But you know that that's a substantial amount of money. So it, it yeah. is. And are there huge advantages? Well, pictures, photography, portrait mode, um, Bluetooth. You know, different various Bluetooth versions. If you use things that use that, then maybe. But it, it comes down to each person has a different need. Each person uses their phone slightly differently. And I really think that it, it's... Um, we, we've reached the point in iPhone development where you don't buy a phone for one feature unless that's your special feature. That these things are evolutionary changes. And, and that over time, you know, you, if you skipped from an iPhone 6 to an iPhone 8, that enough would have changed that it makes sense, especially if it was the, uh, the, uh, the 8 Plus, which has the, the additional camera, right? There right you've now, got enough today, that yeah. you could point out that it made sense to switch, right? But certainly this going from an iPhone 6 to a 10R, there are so many changes that the sum of them all makes more sense. So how can I fully accept that this is sensible now and yet around, I don't know, uh, September, uh, find a way to convince myself it's okay to go to whatever the next iPhone is, money allowing? Uh, ask me when they're introduced and I'll tell you that you should go and spend all that money right then. Thanks. Okay. <laughs> ask Angela. She'll tell you the same. Yeah, not so much. Not, not Get, get not her on really. the phone with me. We'll no. make it work. Uh, Angela, this moment is on a river cruise uh, with her sister having a particularly fine time across Europe. And it's just great. Uh, I'm so excited that she's off having a great time. Um, <laughs> coming back and finding that I've spent multiple thousands of pounds on Apple gear that I clearly do not need. Yeah, I don't know we'd be getting to the holiday snaps first of all. Not first of all. Hmm. Interesting. All right. I will leave you to handling that part of your relationship. I want to talk for a moment about things that might come in the future. So obviously the second developer beta of macOS Catalina 10.15 has released. People have been installing it. And there are references in there to things that haven't been announced, by which I'm speaking about AMD Radeon graphics cards. Oh, right. I've heard the headline about this. I saw an Apple Insider, but... Uh, hello, what does this mean? What's going on? Well, so when you get a, a beta OS, obviously they're trying to build support into it for different products and things that they're testing in-house as well. And they don't want to maintain a build for in-house and a build for outside developers and a build for the public beta. That, that on the whole, you really want to have these builds eventually line up with all the same stuff because that's how you get to a gold master release. And... So you get to learn things from these betas. And in one of these betas, in beta 2, there are hints that there are eight unreleased models of AMD Radeon graphics cards. So the cards are split into two categories, RX and Pro. There are six GPUs that are identified as Radeon RX Vega 20 cards with a variety of different suffixes, as well as two Radeon Pro Vega 20s. And... It's not clear what the acronyms that are after these these names refer to. They could be for different Mac variants. They could be discrete GPUs and MacBook Pros. We really don't know. Uh, 
but it's it's interesting. Mm. It also could be that these are intentionally misnamed to mislead us. But <laughs> the, the never occurred to me. I quite like that. Yes. <laughs> what we do know is that macOS Catalina relies heavily on Metal, and Metal is the the graphics architecture that allows talking directly to the GPU and using the GPU for much more work than it has in the years past. And so, well, these are, are eight variations of a card that could launch, or eight variant cards that could launch from AMD at any time. Um, we, we expect that there's something real here because A, they wouldn't be in this build if they weren't real. And B, it could be different machines, could be different GPUs, all kinds of different things. And if Apple were having a giggle at us, they could have uh, called them NVIDIA or something like that just to and mess with their heads. That would be interesting using another company's yeah, it'd be funny. I'd branding in there. That. That'd be weird. Uh, yeah. and, you know, and people wish that Apple would sort out whatever issue they have with NVIDIA because Apple worked with NVIDIA in years past. Um it's it's you know people have favorites and it comes down to whether or not they're using the uh, CUDA okay, or some of the other things that that these different GPUs are are able to do better than each other. Go ahead, you're about you to are, say. You're the hardware guy, and I am very much not. I'm I'm really software through and through. Uh, to the extent that I'm I'm only a tiny. I'm not going to be embarrassed about this later because I'll be embarrassed about it. Now, um, it's not that long ago that I first heard about GPUs. In fact, it was Mike Worthley who mentioned it, and I genuinely thought he was kidding. The idea that you could have your graphics card outside your MacBook. And and he looked at me across the phone line exactly the way you're looking at me now. And so I accept that they're real. But um, what are the what are the what would the benefits be to someone like me? I I I do use Final Cut Pro, but not all that often. Um, I use Illustrator, I have Affinity Design, all of these things. Would I actually benefit from sticking eight AMD Radeon GPUs off the back of my Mac Mini? No. Okay. Well, let, let's be fair. So first of all, these aren't necessarily ones that are external. These are eight ones that could be internal as well. Oh, I'm sorry, you did say that, and that went straight past me. So th this could actually be clues to future machines. Yes. Uh, now that, suddenly, I'm that uh, weird. I'm that much more interested. No, no, I'm, I'm a fickle sort. Certain types of hardware only. Clearly. You really are. Yeah, what can you do? My mother always says the same thing. Yes. Yeah. As long as Angela doesn't. But it's it's uh, whimsical. You know, it's, there, there, there could be tons of different machines from this you know you could have macbook pros you could have macbooks you could have cards for the mac pro that, that could be supported in here as well it's unclear it really is but external gpus are a thing and if you are doing an edit suite and you are doing a render farm based out of that you, know, you have tons of video to render either for your final cut work or you are doing virtual reality stuff there are reasons why you would want an eGPU. Hmm. I quite like having to go and make some tea while Final Cut Pro renders. You would rob that from me. You would take that away. I would not. Life. I would not. I would never deprive you. Thank you. It's important. Yorkshire tea. Yay. They do not sponsor the show, by the way. That's just a genuine like that he has for that. 
Yes, I'm currently uh, on a, a non a different brand because I picked up the wrong box in the supermarket. But I'm drinking that tea as fast as I can to get through it and back to the the proper things. Well, then. I think you really wanted to know the uh, not stock especially no. situation. No. Okay, but now that you've got that information, use it wisely. Uh, right. Um, in your neck of the woods, EE, which is a, a carrier over in England, is yes. offering Sport and Apple TV 4K bundles. So what they're doing is instead of choosing a uh, free view and, and set-top box and an antenna and trying to receive Sport that way, they are offering a package where you can subscribe to a sports offering, BT Sports, and receive an Apple TV 4K. Effectively free, actually, because the cost of BT Sport is the cost you'll be paying. So you get an Apple TV 4K free. Sounds great. Um, I may be slightly biased because I have no interest in sport at all, but I think it's a dreadful deal. In fact, uh, when this news was first broke, um, the belief was that EA had dropped their set-top box. All new customers get Apple TV, live with it. Uh, and actually, no, I phoned EA here in the UK to check that this couldn't possibly be right. And they say, no, it's a, like a choice. We've got this new deal. You can choose this. And many people will. People who presumably like sport. Uh, but if you do go that route, you don't get the free view box. So you don't get the 70 channels for it. And very significantly, you don't get the ability to pause live TV or, or record anything. Uh, so I think with what you get and what you lose, uh, it's an atrocious deal. But maybe if I was a sports fan, I would disagree. Well, let's, let's be clear. It's £37 or about yes. $47 per month. And yeah. you get the Apple TV 4K for free. Now, what, what you didn't tell me here when you wrote this story, William, is what the restriction in terms are for how long you have to keep paying per month. So if I subscribe to BT Sport, for example, and after three months decided I was done, could I then cancel and keep the Apple TV? Well, funny enough, E isn't very clear about that either. But the regular terms, the ones we're used to in the UK, is that you would be required to return your box. I have just moved from Sky, uh, funny enough, to BT, and I had instructions for returning the box. Um, I would look through it, and considering I've had the box for 20 years, I was pretty confident I was outside uh, the rule. And it turned out, yes, but there was no clear cutoff point for it. And I ask that wanna... because in, in the U.S. we've had these deals. Direct TV Go, for example, has done the mm. same kind of offer in the past. And that was the deal, was that you had to maintain the subscription for at least three months, after right. which you could cancel and keep the TV, keep the Apple TV. That would make your Apple TV uh, it'd still be cheaper doing that, wouldn't it? That's a good point. Yeah. I, I pay uh, 37 Well, it's from £37 for the EE thing. I'm not quite clear where the number goes up i pay i now pay 39 uh a month uh, and i get i don't get the sports packages but i get the free view box and i get the bt's um board by stuff which is actually so far very good um so i think the price is quite reasonable but uh the two big benefits the only benefit for me would be the apple tv because that is a re i love my apple tv box i'd recommend it to anybody but it doesn't do everything. And I, I think something that's not appreciated is how very different television is in the UK from America. You keep seeing Apple say they have these single sign-ins and you get your cable service. None of that is here. Uh, you can go get a lot of channels. Um, Malcolm Owen on Apple Insider just pointed out to me that UK TV is this month 
appeared on Apple TV. And that's great. It's not the live channel. You can't do that. But plenty of the on-demand stuff is there. You can put together a, a, a pretty good list of channels, but it is nowhere near the same as it would be through Sky, obviously, or through uh, uh, Freeview Terrestrial or FreeSat or other one here. And uh, the way you would do it usually involves more money. BBC is free on Apple TV, so is Channel 4, ITV. My 5, uh, the Channel 5 app is actually a bit buggy and uh, I just stopped watching it. But you have these ways to do it. If you really want to put your heart and soul into it, you can build up uh, a channel selection for yourself, which is okay. And now, maybe some people will do one, it. One of the ways but, that we've done things in the US is to use terrestrial TV tuners, like, like your Freeview. Mm-hmm. And have those connected to the network so that they are visible to Apple TV and then work with an application to use the Apple TV as the DVR for it. So you oh, get all of the over-the-air channels in the interface on your Apple TV. Yeah, but you can record. Now, I don't know how to do yeah, that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, Tableau TV is one that we use here in America. And there's another one that Andrew O'Hara is using with um, an HD home run. And I forget the name of the application for that. But we've written about it on Apple Insider before. And uh, it's really, I'm just well, looking up that app, yeah. It must be quite limited in storage capacity. Though. Um, well, I mean, not necessarily. It's, it's somewhat limited to the storage of your Apple TV. Uh, so there's a, a ch- or 64 gigabytes. Right. So there's a channels app that you can put on Apple's TV, Apple TV and HD Home Run works with it. I've got an HD Home Run dual tuner from 2000 and I want to say 8 or 9? 8. 2008 even. And it works with my Apple TV courtesy of this app. HD Home Run. Yeah, that yeah that's, that is a dual tuner connected to a terrestrial antennae. And what was the name of that app? You said Channels. Channels, yeah. Right. Um... Oops, I'm looking in the wrong country. Uh, find the UK. Let's just watch me look for this. Um, right, I can't see one available here in the UK called Channels. Yeah, uh, we'll we'll, we'll work be... on this. We need to explore this yeah. offline. So yes. we were talking about new iPhones for a minute there. And yeah. one of the things that I've talked about for years on this this program has been the idea of removing the lightning port from the iPhone. Yeah, I remember you talking about it. I can't remember whether you were for or against, though. I'm for it. Okay. When when you remove ports, when you remove openings, you're able to seal the device and, and make it more watertight. And the iPhone XR is not very watertight at all. I, I have I have witnessed people drop the iPhone XR in a swimming pool for less than 10 seconds, pull it back out, and the phone is ruined. You know, a- a- Apple suggests that you should be able to submerge it for a little bit longer than that, but in practice, no. Um, the 10s and 10s Max are much more watertight, but if they didn't have a lightning port, they could be even more so. Uh, because USB-C is less of a hole? No, remove the port entirely. You don't need a physical port. What, and and purely do wireless charging and not have the ability to plug anything at all into your phone? Well, there are a number of different things you could do, right? You could go revive MagSafe 
for the phone. Um, Apple filed a patent for something called conductive cladding for waveguides so that data can be transferred without a physical port. So that's like uh, he she char- charging or some equivalent. Well, to that. not exactly. So so she uses a coil and it's an inductive coil. Here we're talking about uh, electromagnetic waves. Oh. Okay. But the idea yep. is is that these conductive portions determine how the waveguides attached, how how the uh, and the frequency of the waves, and, and that creates data. So they, they've been patenting things for a long time, 2018, 2015, 2016, about different types of liquid resistance. 2015 was exploring self-healing elastomers to cover ports. Uh, 2018, preventing water entry via the lightning style port by using elements of the connector to create the seal. Uh rubber rings for a gasket, deformable sheaths, tapered connectors, a vacuum generator inside the phone to pump air out and make it sealed, uh, liquid-resistant speaker ports. And, and actually, we've seen those already in the Apple Watch, where they, mm-hmm. they have a liquid-resistant speaker and use the digital crown to pump the water out by vibrating the speaker. So there's all the kinds of amazing uh, litany of incredibly clever... Um, solutions to a problem that we could all avoid by just not dropping our phones in water. I say this as someone who's done it, but, you know, just, just so once and I learned. Yeah. Yes, well, not everyone is as... Uh, oh, how should I say this? Not not everyone is is as careful, as, as considered, as uh, controlled as you are. But everyone else would have been more considerate there of the fact that I did do that once and would have sympathized and, and helped reassure me with it. But okay, no, no. No, no, you, you, you have maintained that you've only done it once. Other people, this happens to, right? People get broken screens. People get phones that drop in water. I've done that and it's once not intentional. Well. No one wants to do this. So no, if the device it. can be designed to prevent the actual damage, then great. Okay, I'm just a conscious. It feels like it's a, a American pen versus a Russian pencil. That uh, space story, uh, which was fictional, not, begin with anyway. But it's a great metaphor. No, it's not. Yeah, of course. It is. Apple recently hired Mike Filippo. Do you know what they hired him for, William? Money and probably relocation expenses. No, I'm sorry, I don't even know his name. Who is he? Well, he's he's working out in Austin, Texas, and he is a gentleman who has a long history of designing CPUs. He was chief architect on a 24-core 96-thread system on a chip for Intel. He worked on AMD's Athlon and Opteron processors, and his most recent work since 2009 was working with ARM processors for consumer automotive and infrastructure CPUs. Now, his position at Apple is listed as architect no reference to what team he's on, no no reference to departments, anything. Uh, Apple's been using their own ARM-based CPU design since 2010, and that's expected to continue. So as recently as 2018, Filippo argued that ARM's in-house designs would do well against Apple's modifications, claiming the real competition was Intel. Of course, both ARM and Intel CPUs can run Windows currently. So 
it's not certain if if Mike Filippo is going to be working on ARM chips for future Macs. It's not certain if he's going to be working on improving these modifications that Apple's made for their own ARM-based designs. It's possible it could be all of the above. But you think... I mean, the the obvious one is Macs, right? People keep thinking about low-power Macintosh with longer battery life or keep also talking about the uh, the thing that Catalyst and, and later Swift UI are for, which is unifying application development so that developers can can benefit from having a larger pool of target devices to run on. It's entirely possible that we're completely missing the boat on this and it's nothing to do with Mac. It's nothing to do with iPhone and that he's designing chips for automotive. Right. I don't believe that. If I had to guess, my prediction is is that he's working on chips for iOS and Mac. Because once you can sort of, of unify those architectures, then your Catalyst and Swift UI story gets even easier. It's, it's a pretty big um, effort, though. So that's why they needed them. I'll show you a point. Okay. He said he was uh, working in, in Austin. Uh, isn't that where Apple's just um, done a second campus? He's been employing loads of extra people and things. Is, is that all part of that? Do we know well, they've had an Austin campus for a long time. Austin has been part of Apple Care. Austin has handled uh, education sales and things like that. There's there's a lot in Austin. And this is one of the first times that I think I've heard that there's development work going on in Austin. Well, good for Austin. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Definitely good for Austin. Well, that's... Gosh, I've used so much for your time, William, today. I think we're going to have to cut it short. Oh, okay. Oh, well, that's very nice. It's because it's of what I said about uh, you're not being compassionate about my phone, isn't it? That's what it was, really. I can see that. You're a good soul, Ben. I appreciate that. Okay. I will take you at your word. Thank you. I appreciate okay. that. It's very nice of you to say. And I want to thank all of our listeners for sticking with us and for, for joining us. It is so good to have you here. Please don't hesitate to email william at appleinsider.com with your feedback. We love hearing from you. <laughs> and I will make sure I send it on to you as well, <laughs> assuming it's relevant. If you just want to praise me for any reason, then I might just uh, keep that to myself. Not at all. You'd uh, share that to show it. Well, I was trying to be, you know, nice there, <laughs> and, and I failed, but thanks for the assist. <sighs> Right. Where can people find you on the internet? Uh, apart from William at uh, AppleInside.com, I am on Twitter as W Gallagher. What about you? I am VMarks on Twitter. I'm Victor at AppleInsider.com. And we really take on board every piece of feedback you send us. Please yes. go ahead and let us know how we're doing. And we, we'd love to hear from you. We'll be back next week with more. Stop recording and...